I'm your host, Roger Tucker. I'm a native of Newark, New Jersey, and each week I'll be interviewing artists, historians, authors, and other cultural thought leaders to discuss the cultural impact and influence that Newark has had and continues to have on their lives and work. Declared as one of the very greatest bass voices of the century, Kevin Maynard has sung throughout the world in both opera houses and concert halls, from Carnegie Hall to the Beijing Concert Hall in China. As a recitalist, Maynard has received praise throughout North America, South America, Europe, Australasia, and Africa, as well as Asia, including China and India. Maynard has scored success in over 65 operatic roles in five different languages. Maynard has a diploma from the Manhattan School of Music, a Bachelor of Music Education degree from Bradley University, a master's degree from Northwestern University, and an honorary degree from the Moscow Conservatory. While in Bologna, Italy, he studied with Paula Molinari at the Teatro Comunale di Bologna. He is currently a doctoral candidate at Indiana University in Bloomington. Trilogy, an opera company, began in 2004. The inception of Trilogy, AOC, followed a conversation between Sharp James, former Newark mayor, and opera singer Kevin Maynard. It was to be a cultural gift to the people of Newark, New Jersey. Initially developed as a one-off festival, Trilogy, AOC's success led to the formation of a committee and its continuing productions. Trilogy, an opera company, is a 501c3 company. It made its debut at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center on November 23rd, 2014. Our guest host is Dr. Ashley Jackson. She enjoys a multifaceted career as a highly sought after musician and collaborator in New York and beyond. She's also the daughter of a Norker. As an orchestral harpist, Ashley performs with the New York Philharmonic, Metropolis Ensemble, the Guitar Philharmonic, and is the principal harpist of Novus New York, the contemporary music orchestra of Trinity Wall Street. She appears regularly with the Harlem Chamber Players. Ashley is currently an assistant professor of music at Hunter College. She holds a Doctor of Musical Arts degree from the Juilliard School, a Master of Music degree from the Yale School of Music, and a Bachelor of Arts degree from Yale University. That's Kevin Maynard singing a selection from the opera, Boris Gudinov. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Roger. And welcome, Ashley. Thank you, Roger. It's great to be here. Great. It's great to have you both here. I'm really excited um, that I have uh, our first uh, musical guest on um, What's Nork Got to Do With It? Most of the other people have been either visual artists, filmmakers, et cetera. So you're our first, uh, or our first two uh, musicians that we've had as guests. So I'm very, uh, very excited. So, Kevin, first question. Was becoming an opera singer your first career choice? Um, my first career choice was to be a baseball player. 
Uh, my second career choice was to be a construction engineer. My third career choice, I think, probably was to be a trombonist. And then reality settled in, and I decided to become, well, actually, to be a Broadway singer was fourth. And then reality set in, and I decided that, that I would become an opera singer. Fantastic. So what was the path that led you to your extraordinary career in opera? Okay, well, my career uh, was enhanced, uh, I should say, uh, by an opportunity uh, that happened in... Um, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, I was singing with the Santa Fe Opera as an apprentice artist, and I was sort of looked upon by Sam Niefeld, who was a vice president at that time at Columbia Artist. And uh, he uh, turned to Artist Kranich, uh, who was running the Lyric Opera of Chicago, he tells me. I told uh, him, uh, well, uh, this is Kevin Maino, as you know now, Sam. Uh, because he was watching a production of uh, Tosca, Puccini's Tosca, in which I was playing the role of the jailer. And um, it was a very um, tiny, tiny, tiny role, but uh, I brought full force and roundness to it, if you will. And I got a huge review, and uh, it caused a lot of clamor there at the Santa Fe Opera. So Sam... Then says to me, he says, well, Kevin, you know, let's meet when we get back to New York. And we met at the Russian Tea Room. And the first thing he asked me is, what, well, what is it that, uh, what do you like? What do you, what are your interests? I said, I love Russian music. I love the great Russian basses. And then he said to me, well, why, why don't I arrange for you to go to the Bolshoi? And uh, that was arranged. He arranged that. And then I won the Fulbright that year. I was at Northwestern University. Because I was still thinking academically, you know, I needed to finish things. So I uh, won the Fulbright Award and went to the Moscow Conservatory. And then uh, Columbia arranged for me to be an apprentice there at the Bolshoi. And I worked with Kirillovich uh, Vinogradov and Kuglan uh, Datanovich Tietz and, oh boy, um, uh, let's see, Evgeny Nesterenko and, uh, and others that were associated with the Bolshoi Teatro, with the Bolshoi Theater. And um, that's how it, uh, that's sort of how it all happened. I mean, there were some things that happened, of course, before then, but that was major. That turned everything around after I went to the Soviet Union, and it was called the Soviet Union in that time, 1979-1980. That was very unusual, and they gave me some honorary uh, recognition. And uh, it was very controversial also because... uh, we had our degrees here in the United States, and the Soviets felt that their degrees were worth more, were more important. So, Kevin, what preceded the uh, Tosca? Um... You mean, uh, yes, being at the Santa Fe Opera. Well, mm-hmm. I auditioned for the Santa Fe Opera while I was in school at Northwestern University working on my master's. And I wasn't going to audition for the Santa Fe Opera. I didn't even know what it was. 
But a friend of mine, he told me, Santa Fe is here today and you should sing for them. We're all singing for them. And I said, all right, I'll sing for them. And um, none, no one else was selected but me uh, at the school. Oh, I'm sorry. One other woman was selected. Uh, but uh, no one else was given a role. I was actually given two roles uh, to perform at uh, Santa Fe. And uh, that really, that's where it all really sort of started. And I had sung opera before then, of course. Mm. And because uh, I went to the Manhattan School of Music. Then I went to Bradley University. And then I went to um, Northwestern University. But uh, it was at Northwestern when I was uh, sort of given the opportunity to sing at the Santa Fe Opera in their apprentice program. But I was given roles to sing. Great, great. Um, Ashley, do you have any either comments or questions about what Kevin has shared with us so far? Yeah. Um, so, Kevin, it's it's really great to hear sort of the beginnings of your your um, long uh, career in in music and classical music and in opera. And you mentioned Northwestern, and when I think about Northwestern, Kevin, I think about uh, the composer Margaret Bonds, who was also a student there some years before you, of course. Um, and during her time there, she it was when Blacks weren't allowed to live on campus. It was when Black female students were allowed to swim in their swimming pools. Um, and she talks about the importance of Black art to help her get through that period at Northwestern. So I'm curious about your time at Northwestern. What what were the other students like? You know, who were your sort of earliest mentors to sort of help you get into this this field of opera and classical music? Well, um, you'd have to go back, of course, before Northwestern, no doubt. But while I was there in Evanston, I attended a church there called Second Baptist Church, Second Baptist uh, Church in Evanston, Illinois. And because uh, that's where Northwestern is. And I was very involved in that church. And uh, this church was, was responsible for the church in the black experience, if you will, at Garrett Theological Seminary. All of my friends were ministers, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And um, the church chose me to be a deacon. And I was ordained as a deacon at age 23. Come on. Now, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and if you pay very close attention to what was going on in the country at that time. Chicago was very important in the movement, if you will. Okay. Jesse Jackson was running Operation Push and then uh, Operation Breadbasket came on, you know, the scene mm -hmm. and uh, boycott of CBS and all of this stuff. And uh, at that church I was attending, uh, Heisel Taylor was the minister and he was a very, very pronounced activist. And uh, I could not help for being influenced by him. Mm. His preaching was excellent. We had a very strong deacon board and the church was very aware. And I remember right after our leaving there, I remember Oprah found out about the church and she just, you know, she couldn't believe it. And uh, she came, but the people got too excited about her being there. So she ended up having to leave. <laughs> uh, Kevin, what, what year are we talking about when you said Jesse Jackson and your involvement in the church that you just mentioned. What years are we those, those are the people that were in Chicago 
uh, during those times. But what and year they, are we talking about? Yeah. What they, uh, we're talking about oh, 76 through 78. Oh. Okay. That gives us All some right. kind of historical perspective because Chicago has always been at the forefront of, of the, the movement. So, yeah. uh, so we were talking about the seventies. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, um, uh, the thing, uh, uh, that was most interesting about my uh, development there is that uh, that church was very affluent, but they were very racially minded and they were on the game. And uh, we would have uh, uh, to give you an example of how much they were on the game. We had a group called the Nat Turner Society and uh, we had a group called the Harriet Tubman Society. And it was called uh, Tubman Turner Group. And we would meet on Sunday mornings in lieu of Sunday school. And um, the conversations were just off the chart, to say the least. The great uh, minds there. And most of the church was, it was full of principals of high schools and elementary schools. Three superintendents were there. And the mayor was, uh, well, I think the person who was the mayor now or was the mayor just not too long ago was also there. And uh, it was, uh, you know, like I said, Garrett Theological Seminary was, of course, uh, right up the street. And Heisel Taylor would have these incredible uh, moments where he would invite uh, Thurman, Howard Thurman, to come and speak. And then, uh, and then, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm trying to think of the great um, philosopher that uh, Bill Cosby was very close to, educator. Uh, but uh, and, and myself, he would have me sing on these programs with Thurman and it would be me and Thurman and uh, this other um, uh, uh, psychologist. I cannot think of his name and you know who he is, too. Uh, but uh, we would all be there and we would uh, sit around Thurman and Thurman would talk about a blade of grass and the significance of a blade of grass. And he was just absolutely phenomenal. And then I would be called upon to sing something, like there's a man going around taking names. And then, uh, you know, and, <laughs> and the people that were uh, in that audience, uh, not more than maybe 20 or 25 people. And uh, the conversation was very, uh, shall we say, advanced. And so I was constantly in this arena with these people. And uh, I remember later on, uh, Taylor and, and Farrakhan, uh, they got together and they were thrusting forward Harold Washington, you know, uh, to become mayor, Taylor. And, then, and actually, the, the idea of the Million Man March did not come from uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan. It came from Isla Taylor. But um, mm -hmm. at, uh, that's right. And so uh, <laughs> uh, these were the kinds of things that I was around when I was in uh, Chicago. And, uh, and I, I, I'm uh, so sorry that I cannot remember all of the names of everybody <laughs> that was there, but uh, it was quite a, a group of uh, people and scholars and thinkers and uh, artists uh, that were around. And, and Northwestern, you know, is really, you know, I think Northwestern is probably the top school we have in the United States. Some people think Harvard is, but I don't think so. I think probably Northwestern is, and for m many good reasons, you know. Mm -hmm. It just artistically is so far ahead of, you know, it's like, whoo, it's like ridiculous. 
You know, I'm so honored. They asked me to be on the faculty there a couple of years ago. I had to turn it down because I'm a family man and I didn't want to throw my family into a, into a, into a bad situation. But um, that's, a, that's quite a school. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ashley, for that, that question, because it takes us much deeper into this idea of, you know, what are the cultural and um, historical uh, influences on our cultural leaders like yourself, Kevin? Um, mm. The fact that you um, went to these prestigious um, academies and, and colleges, universities, and then the times that you were there, you were really there at a, such an important time. And uh, so I, and I, now I, I know more about you just from that answer than I think I knew about you for, uh, from reading a lot of the things that are on, um, on the well, internet. I should, I should make it perfectly clear mm -hmm. that my entire life has been in the church. And I have been a deacon at four different churches mm -hmm. in four different states. Wow. Now, if you know the black experience, you understand that. I'm not bragging about it, but I'm letting you know it's the truth. That's what's happened. Because uh, they have to call you to be a deacon, all right? So someone has to say, we want you. And I had that happen in Illinois, New York, New Jersey, and Indiana. So when I went to Indiana University to work on my doctorate, <laughs> I was in the middle of it again. Because Indiana had that great black experience program there that is topped by nobody. And it was the top music, still is the top music school in the world. And we're incredible, uh, <laughs> incredible black people sitting there in that little place, Bloomington, you know, sort of uh, wading in the water, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And uh, it was, uh, the church, the church and the black experience has been very important to me. And I'm here in Newark and I'm in the middle of it again. You know, I'm at Bethany Baptist Church. I'm a deacon, as you know, and I'm involved. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was in New York, I was at Grace Baptist Church and Shiloh Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. So I stayed in. And, uh, yep, I speak a lot of languages and I speak them well, but I know my folk. Well, and thank you. <laughs> Goodness, our folk have you. Yeah. Uh, so you've traveled and performed in the most celebrated operas around the world. You just shared with us some of the extraordinary experiences that you've had around the country. Mm -hmm. um, how did Newark, New Jersey become the home of Trilogy, an opera company? Well, you know, my wife was very, very beautiful, very, very smart. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody knows that. And uh, so uh, I met her at the Black MBA convention in Chicago. She was the most beautiful woman in the place. And uh, I went there uh, not to meet in a woman because I was actually running from another woman that <laughs> <laughs> I felt actually I had um, a negative, uh, uh, I don't know, turns on my life. And so uh, my buddies wanted me to meet someone else. So they took me to this Black MBA convention. It still goes on. It's quite a thing to go to, Black MBAs. Mm -hmm. And my wife walked in and knocked everybody out. And knocked me out, too. But I ignored her until one of my buddies, who's an attorney, brought her over and put her in my face. And then when I started talking to her, I realized she was quite unusual. And uh, so when we came, I found out she was living in New Jersey in East Orange. So I was a part of Grace Baptist Church in Mount Vernon. And I knew everybody in the area. 
So when we got married, you know, we, I said, listen, I'm not going to ask you to leave your church. I'm going to come to your church with you. I'll come to Bethany. And I said, but look, I'm, I said, I'm not, I don't want to live in a predominantly white area. I said, because in my career, that's what I do all the time. I don't dislike white people. I just want to be around blacks. And so she said, uh, well, I said, and so I don't want to live in East Orange with all of those white people, Gail. And she's laughed. <laughs> she said, there's no white people in East Orange. But there was in Malibu a long time ago. I thought there were a lot. It was still the same, Roger, you know, back in the 60s or something. But it wasn't like that anymore. And so I said, uh, but I will live in Newark. And she said to me, she said, well, there's a new place being built in Newark called Society Hill. Oh. So we rode over to here and Society Hill. I said, this is where we'll live. So we bought here. And as time went on, then we bought another place here. And then we connected them and knocked out walls. And they're, oh, I'm not supposed to be saying all of that. But we connected the two places together. And uh, that allowed us to be here in Newark with our folk again. All right. And to do what we were doing. And my wife was no slouch. She was part of the Ms. Foundation. And um, she was close to all the most powerful women in the world. Gloria Steinem, Flo Kennedy, Bella Abzug. And, uh, she, was, she was very close to all of these people. And uh, so, and then I was on the other side. You know, I was hobnobbing around with John Henry Clark. William Warfield and and uh, you know, all of these people and um, Betty Allen and uh, we were talking and exchanging ideas and doing documentaries and so forth and so on. And George Shirley, I've mentioned these music names because I know Ashley knows some of them, but I was really around a lot of very. <laughs> Amiri Baraka was very close to me, as you as you know, Roger, and uh, so. Uh, this is what was going on. And uh, I'm trying to think when I met your uh, your husband, Ashley, much, much, much later. And because uh, mm -hmm. he but I had been to, to Morehouse already. And I don't know if he was in the audience when I did. The, I did a recital there in a master class. And I'm not exactly sure, but he's he's very much younger than I am. Both of you all are. And uh, but uh, you know, I was moving around quite a bit, Roger. And um and uh, uh, I, I never left, uh, no matter what I was working on. Uh, and I worked on, you know, I've sung just about all of the repertoire that you're supposed to sing as a bass. Mm -hmm. All right. I came along during the time when you didn't have all of this social media stuff. So it's hard to, to find out. You can find out some now, though. But, uh, you know, I was one of the first people in, the, in America you know, doing the ring because we didn't have anybody doing the ring in those days. I was coming along. Simon Estes, Grace Bumbry had done something with Simon. And then uh, that was it. And uh, so, but uh, I was getting ring opportunities here uh, abroad and uh, in the United States. But now we have more doing it. And, uh, you know, we've done the ring ourselves uh, with all African-Americans. And I did that on purpose, just about all African-Americans, so that uh, we uh, we show change. Watch out, Roger. I'm talking too much. No, you're not talking too much. Not at all. So all right. so thank goodness Newark be became the home of Trilogy and Opera Company. What is the mission of Trilogy in Newark? 
we focus on the works of black composers and subject matter relative to the black experience. We're not um, racist or prejudiced in any way. We hire whites as well, Latinos, Asians, and so forth. But we focus on the works of black composers. Well, because no one would hire us to do the ring. And the ring had all these stories that I knew African-Americans would be just enthralled by. There was a lot of uh, love and greed and envy and power and so forth. And it was important because it was shown a certain way it should be thrust upon us. Uh, but uh, as you know, though, we've done Nat Turner. <laughs> People were afraid when we did Nat Turner. So we had to do uh, all we could possibly do to make people understand that black composers were re real and that they were here. So we did Frederick Douglass. And then we did an opera on the Central Park Five, which we actually called Five. Mm -hmm. And then we did um, Scott Garner Gray, says Jimmy Baldwin. And then we did, uh, oh gosh, uh, The Ballad of James Byrd. That's the fellow who was drugged on the back of the truck until his head came off. And then uh, uh, we didn't waste any time. We did Garvey. Uh, we did uh, The Mask in the Mirror, which dealt with Paul Lawrence Dunbar. We went back and did Tremonisha. And then, um, oh, you know, we've done some 36 operas, all new. 36 even, operas, that's amazing. We've increased canon. And, and, and I mean, uh, you know, I don't talk about it much, but believe me, we've got the canon of life, you know, with regards to black, in, uh, black operas. Yes, and uh, George Shirley and, and Betty Allen and William Warfield, they were loving it. When we, was, when we was doing this, they, you know, they just couldn't believe it. And uh, we would put it all together, Ashley. You understand? So we had to make sure we have our scores and everything all together. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we used the librettists that were black. And then uh, the composers were black. And then the subject matter was black. Because we, you know, Baraka used to say to me all the time, he used to say, well, you know, Kevin, we are the stories. I said, that's right. He said, we are the box office. I said, you're right, Amir. <laughs> you take that. You just wait. You just wait till they do a, a movie on Frederick Douglass. <laughs> They'll be making all kinds of money. Or a movie on, on Marcus Garvey. It'll be over. A movie all on Sojourner. Uh, that's the box office. There you go. We well, are I, you know, as, as a visual artist, um, you know, uh, this idea of telling a story, this idea of a conversation with the audience and trying to either um, change their mind or getting them to maybe consider something they haven't considered before. How is opera so best suited to deliver the mission that you have been delivering to, to Newark? Why opera versus Broadway versus, uh, you know, more... Uh, Possibly people might think more accessible music forms. Why is opera so best suited? Okay, you know, I, I remember the artist, Laura Jackson, because, you know, I find artists and I make them scenic designers. Ah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> and I've done that with several black artists, mm -hmm. you know, and I use groups like the Rockefellers and so forth. And uh, they call me and tell me, because, you know, sometimes they're ashamed that they haven't done enough with blacks. And then they tell me things. And then I say, oh, is that artist the black artist? And then I hire them to do my set. And I keep it all in the fold. Now, ask me your question again. Again, how is opera so best suited to deliver the mission of 
this idea of the, these great stories that you've uh, shared with us. The great you know, opera. Opera is an all-inclusive art form. Mm-hmm. All right. And it requires amazing skill. And the voice must be able to do everything. It must be able to sing high, low, fast, slow, soft, and loud when you want it to. <laughs> and the best of them can do that. So the art form itself, because it incorporates uh, everything, you know, not just music, drama, and uh, as you say, you as a visual artist, you know, we use projections, we use still art, we use the sculpture, uh, uh, Benny, uh, uh, Benny Day, um, oh Lord, um, another name just gone out of my head, but we, we, we go to artists and we ask them to build things for us and then we use them. Benny Andrews, there we go. And uh, Benny Andrews did some sculpture for us. You know him, Roger. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Do you still have those sculptures? Well, I did a silly thing. When Benny died, I called his wife Mm -hmm. and I said, listen, I have a sculpture here that Benny gave me. Would you like it back? She said yes. (laughs) That's what you get for asking, right? That's right. So she came in and got it. Right. But you can see it online, Benny. He, he did it for us, you know. Oh, but um, yeah, I would never sell it anyway. You know, I kept it in the corner here, and it used to scare people. They would come in here and they say, "Oh my gosh!" You know, they'd be terrified because it was a black man who had been bloodied, and he had was in uh, had been slave and captured, and he had a ring around his neck. And we used it uh, in various uh, pieces that we did. And I used it in one particular piece I did called the Spiritual and Underground Railroad, where we celebrate the spiritual. And uh, this slave figure, chain gang figure, there we go. Uh, you know, I used a center post, center in the stage, and I, I arranged the Newark Boys Chorus around it. And then we used slides and film footage and whatnot to highlight those particular spirituals. But opera just encompasses so much art. It's the one to do. It's, you know, I've always said if, if African-Americans came to the opera, it would be over. We would, we would just take it over because it's everything. It's so passionate, so much stuff happening and so forth, you know, and everybody can be involved. You know, I used to, you know, people used to say to me when I first started, I'll never forget, Michael Raphael wrote some early pieces for us. I told you he did Nat Turner, but when he did Garvey for us. And he had big, huge harp solos in the middle of the piece and whatnot. And my board was saying, oh my gosh, it's incorporating the harp. I said, yes, of course, the harp is an instrument and black people play it too. And I said, and, you, you, and you're going to see them, you know. And um, they were just uh, absolutely amazed. And then I would bring countertenors. Oh, and, and people would say, well, what kind of man sings like that? I said, it's a man with a high voice. <laughs> I said, that's the kind of man that sings like that. Right. And I said, he's a counter tenor. He's above a regular tenor. And you're being exposed to him. You can see what he, he can do. When we first did the piece five, you know, they, uh, there was a, what do you call it? One of those awards, um, a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, it was uh, given for the Central Park Five. Well, you probably know that we were the ones who, who did the piece originally. Yes, and I was then, going to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then Anthony went on and and um, he um, 
he changed the name and redid some things on the piece, which is fine. It's his. We, we don't take our pieces away from black composers and we don't own their music. We don't do that. You know, when you do it for us, it's still yours. We don't uh, claim rights on it or anything. But uh, he, uh, Anthony, at that particular time, he neglected to mention that uh, we had done the piece for the 350th anniversary of the city of Newark at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. And uh, NJ Pack got quite angry about it, <laughs> but not me. I said, that, that's on you, you know, and uh, because it was more important that, uh, you know, I had the piece done. I knew that we needed to do something on the Central Park Five. And I was looking, Ashley, for a female composer. And I called Anthony and uh, he said, well, I, he says, I know some females, but I would love to do the piece. And I started laughing. I said, well, okay, then. I'll let you do it and I'll give somebody else something else. But uh, this this has been, you know, one of my biggest thorns in my side is that I haven't done enough uh, works by women composers. I am using women librettists. If, if, at first, I couldn't find any women librettists, you know, that would work with me. And now I'm finding them. And I have uh, another one uh, uh, composer coming up soon doing something on Fannie Lou Hamer for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm supposed to be announcing that yet. But uh, anyway, we will be doing that. And Mrs. Morgan uh, will be uh, writing the libretto uh, from the composers, Kevin Scott. But um, don't let me keep talking, Roger. Go ahead. Okay, I think Ashley has a question for you, possibly. I have, I'm Kevin. I'm just enthralled by um, your work that you, you've done and and the number of productions that you've done with Trilogy, and, and it just warms my heart. Um, that blackness is is centered um, in so many different ways and so many different aspects of the production. I'm curious, though. You you made a statement about if African Americans came to the opera more, that would be the end of it. Right. And and Roger, you know, was asking about why is opera best suited? I think artistically we can understand, right? Because opera encompasses all of these different art forms and involves so many different people and and talents to tell and convey a story. But given the the barriers that African Americans have had within opera and to attend opera, how do you I guess, how do you negotiate that? Um, you know, you've mentioned artistically, you tell Black stories, but in terms of, you know, getting folks to the opera, um, right. can you just talk more about sort of that, I don't That's know, the reconciliation, problem. but sort of like the the coming together of these two, perhaps musical separate worlds that so many of us Black artists find ourselves in? Yeah, well, this is the problem. <laughs> you know, I, so many white people in the city of Newark now telling me Black Lives Matter. Uh, you, you, you have to prove it now. So I don't want to get too rough, but I'm getting ready to get rough. You know, I think it's very important, you know, for the New Jersey Performing Arts Center to spend more money in making sure that people come to see us. Mm-hmm. What we produce, not what they produce, what we executive produce. An executive producer is the one who finds the money for the thing. The producer produces mm-hmm. the thing, brings it forward. The director directs what he directs, what's going to happen on the stage. Got that? 
Executive producer yeah. finds the money and produces. Regular producer makes sure everything, what's going to be, what's going to happen and so forth is all there for the director to direct what will happen on the stage with the, with the actors or the singing actors or whatever. Okay? Now, what the problem is, is that our, our presenting institutions, because that's what they are, they're presenting institutions. They, they're not what, you know, they don't produce. Like, I produce and, you know, these other people who have opera companies and uh, orchestras, they produce, they produce, okay? Producing is the name of the game, all right? So, and um, so, but now those people that present, they have to find the money to give to those people who are producing. And they also have to spend a lot more money and it's going to take a lot of money convincing people that they should be supported. If NJ Pack wants to be supported, by the audience I think they really want to be supported by, they're going to have to really go after them and they're going to have to use organizations like us. And they were willing to do so, but you're gonna have to do more of it. It can be frustrating. You say, well, there's only, you know, we're in a 500 seat hall and there's only 250 people in the hall or 300 people in the hall. What's the problem? Well, the problem is, is that you haven't let enough people know as often as you possibly can that they should be at this event because when they do find out about it then they're upset we just did robeson outside and people started writing me letters you didn't tell us we didn't know that you were doing robeson we did an opera on slavery blake and you didn't tell us we did an opera last summer on othello a new one a new othello by um richard thompson hmm. well, you didn't tell us we did a black goethe damon the germans knew about it all right, they came over and did a film on me, which you're gonna see next month. <laughs> Walked around the street with me and stuff. So problem is our presenting houses, we only really have two big, huge ones. That's Symphony Hall and the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Okay. And they're open-minded, but now they gotta figure out, you know, the board wants to say, look, spend money. On, uh, on companies like Trilogy that are presenting and other black ballet companies and make sure that their communities know uh, that they are here and get them there. That's, you talk, that's when black lives matter. When they matter, you're going to have to really get involved and make sure that they're there in the theater because the theater is what changes minds. Art mm -hmm. changes minds. You understand? Okay. It begins the conversation. You can do a show thematically produced and you can change thinking just like that you get the people in there you know and then and it, it's very easy to do plus you can find a wife if you go to the theater and if you go to art showings you can find a husband that's right yeah you can and then you can make a family that's worthwhile and important and significant in the community this is serious stuff and for us not to be able to meet one another and to know where to meet one another is a problem because then, you know, when I came here, Mildred Crump said to me, she said, Kevin, she said, what do you want us to do? And we were, I, I was, <laughs> oh boy, I was working with the New Jersey State Opera, okay? I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a waltz fest. Now, there were two other black people in the room there that said, a waltz fest? That's what you're going to, that's what we're going to do? I said, yeah, we're going to have a waltz fest. And we're going to have all these black people out here waltzing. And they started laughing and so forth. And I said, we're going to do it at PSENG where that waterfall is over there. Mm -hmm. So we did it. And we put all these tables out there. 
And they were all around there. And we put a parquet floor down there in front of the waterfall. And black people were out there waltzing and stuff. And they came because they wanted to see what was going on. And some of them just wanted to waltz because <laughs> they had never waltzed before. <laughs> so they were over there. Job James, he loved it. And so did um, the minister, what was his name? Watley. Oh, Reverend Watley. Reverend Watley, right. Those guys were calling me over to their table. Come over here, sit down, sit down, sit down. We want to talk to you. <laughs> and I said, look, this is, I said, I said, I know my folk. We're intrigued by these things. Some of us want to mm. waltz. <laughs> mm. You understand? Some of us mm-hmm. want to waltz. You got that, Ashley? Yeah. We want to be. So I said, come on, let's get them all out here. So the doctors and, and, the, and the architects and uh, all of these people were thrown out there together. They didn't even know they were in the same city. They didn't even know. The people here in society, here where I live, oh, my gosh, they don't know each other. This everything is here. <laughs> and they don't even know who's here. Because Ashley, they don't have anywhere that they go. If if something happens and one of these groups, you know, rap groups is whatever comes, they come, they come and they blow your head off. It's a fabulous concert and everybody goes home. But at the opera, they have two or three times when you have to have an intermission. And there's power in the intermission. See, that's what makes standing art. Roger, important when you have shows because you can go and walk around, look at the art, and meet a wife. <laughs> well, 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 well I'm Kevin, right. Kevin, Kevin I, I, I'm loving what you're saying. I use that. Uh, in fact, that's one of my favorite hashtags art changes minds. Yes. And the idea that all of the arts, I, I think as a visual artist, that the visual arts are also performances. And those are yes. performances that are captured on canvas or yes. in a sculpture. And yes. they have that, as you said, that power to make people think differently or make them think at, at, about something that they That's right. have been able to think about. They, so, make you getting, they, they make you get into a conversation. Absolutely. I mean, you can just say this. Well, what does this look like to you? Sure. You know, and the person has to answer you. They have to say something and you can say, well, that's stupid. Or you can say that's brilliant right. or whatever. Or you can say, let's go to lunch. I don't care what you say, but it, 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 it builds a conversation and it makes people interact. See, Ashley, I'm into families and how you yeah. make a family. I, I did a pretty good job. I think most people will say, you know, my children, are, they're OK. They're OK. Most people will say that. All right. And that is because I took a lot of time, me and my wife, making sure that we try to get these kids right. And then we ask people to help us. Now, you have to meet people. So I'm doing these operas on this subject matter and you're going to complain. OK, so you don't want to see Madame Butterfly. You, you don't want to see Le Noce di Figaro. You don't want to see Il Barbieri di Sevilla. You don't want to see Desirable Flirter. But now I'm asking you to come see Garvey. I'm asking you to see Nat Turner. I'm asking you to see Frederick Douglass. Now, those are the names that you know, all right? Now, mm-hmm. and then, and then you, you talk about what happened with Walter Scott, Eric Garner, and Freddie Gray. And so I do an opera, Scott Garner Gray, and I take it from the perspective of James Baldwin. So if you're from the 60s and you like James Baldwin, okay. Mm-hmm. And if you're into Black Lives Matter movement and you, and you care about Eric Garner and you care about Walter Scott and you mm-hmm. care about Freddie Gray, here they both are, all right? Then I asked somebody to organize the libretto that's in the community. There's a great artist that did pictures with, with uh, uh, what's his name, Richard Pryor and so forth. I get Richard Wesley. I put these people together 
who are leaders in our communities and thinkers and great artists. And then I, you know, I, I call upon a great visual, a great a sculptor like uh, 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 Benny Andrews. I throw all of this in there. And then I say, come on. Now, come, bring all of you, come together, get together and talk ab about things. I don't care what you talk about. Just talk, exchange numbers, find out where the best daycare is, Ashley. Find out what schools you want to know where my kids, my kids went to the Dance Theater of Harlem, to the Harlem School of the Arts. They went to the Newark School of the Arts. That's what they did. You want to know mm -hmm. the little private schools they went to? I'll tell you what they, but you got to meet somewhere. I'm not going to know you unless I meet you. Listen, your husband, he went out to dinner with me when we were in Michigan. I couldn't even get the guy away from the table. <laughs> he wanted to talk and talk and talk. And, you know, and I'm excitable. So I'll talk, you know. So watch it out. I'm talking too much. Next well, to our well the, your uh, enthusiasm is, is so important. I, one of my favorite things to do is to go to your um, YouTube channel the Trilogy YouTube channel. And the visually, it's so uh, compelling. The, there's water moving. There, there are collages of actors. There's music playing. And I'm really, um, again, very fascinated, again, as how you pull all of these elements together. I saw some of your Othello um, recently. And the, just what you were able to do on that small stage outdoors was you know you transformed that that space i wanted you to tell us a uh, very a little bit about gold chair your mentoring program for youth because you talk about this idea of youth and your uh, commitment tell us about gold chair okay gold chair when we first started out with the school system everybody was really excited about it then later on as people started giving us money the school system kind of withdrew in terms of giving us money to work on gold chair so we had to do it ourselves but Gold Chair basically was finding youth in the school and exposing them to us directly. They had to come to our rehearsals. Mm -hmm. Then we started out. I used my own children. I put them into the inner workings of the opera. My son did all the projections. Mm -hmm. And now my son is an engineer for ECI. But everybody, every engineering company that has talked to him, they are really interested in his, uh, his ability to create. Like he's making these drones for this company down in Texas, but he works in New Jersey. Uh oh, I'm talking too much for real. And uh, he's doing these other things. He's in management control of all these other things. And, uh, it, you know, but he would put together our visuals. And if you watch the if you look at the pictures, uh, Roger, on that website, you go down, you see the the. Five, the Central Park Five, those are his visuals there. Okay. You see all of that. Stuff. Fantastic. And if you look, right, and Garvey. And then he has promos that he did, like for Nat Turner, for Martin Luther King. We did a thing called Homage to a King, and he did a promo for them. And you can find them, you know, promos. It's under his name, Kalen Maynor, and his little website is called Purple Fox, Purple Fox, Purple Fox. And you can see these promos that he did to produce. When John Schreiber saw the first one that we did, he just couldn't believe it. We did. He he did one for Garvey and it talked about everything that the, all of the uh, relative issues that um, uh, that Garvey was talking about with regards to unfairness and inequality. And it brought in the Jews and the Chinese. And I'm like, good Lord, Kalen, you know, but he was exposing his dad and his mom to this in the entire uh, community. And so 
so uh, that website that you're looking at is, it, you know, there's another one. It's called uh, TrilogyAOC.Homestead.com. When I first did that one, every, all of the board criticized me. and said, Kevin, it's too bright. It's too many colors. <laughs> it's too much stuff. I said, okay, I'll tone it down. And the toned down version is the one you're looking at, Roger, oh. with the moving water. <laughs> and they have that site on it. You know, it has um, when it talks about our staff, you see a locomotive move, a train because they are running everything. So there's symbols there that, that sort of explain what different people do. And you're right. I put strategically, I put certain operas up there. I put the Othello up there because the New York Times was complaining that there were no black tenors to do Othello by Giuseppe Verdi. So I just had another composer write an Othello for bass, and then I did it. So there it is. So now <laughs> somebody can do Othello when I'm dead and gone, if they want to, and, and, and it's a bass. And then I, there's an excerpt from Robeson. There's an excerpt from Frederick Douglass on there. Mm -hmm. There's an excerpt from Scott Garner Gray that's on there. And there's an excerpt from Nat Turner. Now I'm going to bring that Nat Turner to N.J. Pack. And don't miss it when I bring it, okay? Absolutely. Because the, if you look at the Nat Turner, it was directed by Trezana Beverly. Now, she's always mad with me. But if she's not mad with me, I'm going to get her to direct this thing again. And because <laughs> what she did with that Nat Turner was incredible. The only thing I didn't like about that Nat Turner was the opening uh, three or four measures in which the cellist played out of tune. <laughs> But everything else on that thing is absolutely, uh, you know, it's incredible. And it's Nat Turner. And we didn't have all that much money, but we got the point across. Right. And she was able to use symbols and things. And you'll see those projections and you'll see various artwork and, uh, that we did. And we threw them all together to make, to give clarity, to help people understand what Nat Turner was all about. There's no need to be afraid of Nat Turner. Absolutely. No need once you Absolutely. know about it. Well, again, those conversations, as you said, the art elicits a conversation, a variety of conversations. People could be looking at one image and come up with a variety of conversations. And so opera, as you said, gives people the opportunity to think and to share and to uh, realize how universal uh, opera and the idea of the the story, how how universal it is. So my my last question, and I'm gonna then ask let um, Ashley ask her last question. But my last question is, what is your favorite operatic role to portray, and why? That's hard. People ask me that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Boris. Maybe Mephistopheles, and the one I just did now, Robeson. Uh, those three. Uh, the Robeson is by Adolphus Hailstorm. The Mephistopheles is by Arrigo Boito. And Boris is by uh, Muzorski. Also, uh, uh, the one I, I, I like to do with tongue-in-cheek is Sarastro from The Magic Flu. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Because Sarastro is like a big, he's like, the, he, he's like a, 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 a chairman of a deacon board or something. <laughs> and he's got to persuade people to do certain kinds of things, you know, to move from, from, uh, from wrong to right. And uh, I like that. It has spoken lines in it, and I use them to full effect. Yeah. I remember. And all the years I've done Sarastro all over the country, 
Uh, it was only one critic that figured out what I was doing. And that was in Des Moines, Iowa. He figured it out. He wrote about it. And then the guy who was running the opera company wrote to me. He said, I knew there was a reason why I liked the way you were doing those spoken lines. <laughs> wow. Amazing. But, uh, yeah, uh, well, thank you. Ashley, your last question for... Or you can, or you can have a couple of questions, obviously. Yeah, I think, I think I'm... Kevin, I'm listening to you and, you know, I'm just, I'm so grateful, Roger, uh, for this opportunity to get to spend some time with you. I've heard wonderful things about you from Terrence and it's just been, I'm energized. I'm ready to go well, do some work. I have to talk to you. I love Terrence and we need him. And, you know, I've asked him to come and talk and lead discussions and so forth. And mm -hmm. uh, I can't do enough with him. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> And so in, in thinking about today, Kevin, um, when Roger asked me to join, I was thinking about something that I touch on a lot in my own work, and that's kind of musical ancestry or DNA, and as often sometimes referred to my musical mothers. And I have to say that probably one of my earliest experiences, musical experiences, was going to my grandmother's church, and she was an Abyssinian on, on Kenny. And, no. no, no, in in Newark, in Newark. Oh, Abyssinian. Oh, yes. Uh, under my good friend, uh, he left now. Um, oh Lord. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well, at the time, Reverend Simmons was was the pastor for for when I was going to see my right. grandmother at that church. Yes. And yeah. for me, that was probably where I first saw this the power of of music. Um, to to move people literally, you know. As a little kid, I was scared watching, you know, people run up and down the aisles and, and shake. But you know, for me, that was also like an introduction to just how powerful music can be and, and the spirit that it um, can move you to. And so, I often think about Nork and gospel in particular as part of my musical DNA. Yeah. So I'm curious for you, Kevin. What, how do you bring out the, the sort of musical DNA of Nork itself? What is that for you when you think about the music in Nork? And how does that, how do you incorporate that in your own work with the opera company? Well, number one, I tell my composers that the music that they write should be reflective of their experience. So then I have to be clever in which composers I choose. So, but I do it five times a year. So I can get an old guy, young guy, guy in the middle, whatever. And I get uh, various composers. Some of them I know their emphasis is on what other people call jazz, what I call the music, because uh, that's what um, Max Roach made me say. He said, Kevin never called it jazz, always called it the music. He said, Duke and I never called it jazz. It was the music. Uh -huh. So, but, um, so... There's all kinds of, uh, 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 of uh, musical interlude, if you will, and they combine themselves in our community. So I, Florida A&M invited me down there years ago to talk badly about rap. And then I talked to them about, I said, well, what is the most important element of music? And they all looked around at me like I was a fish inside of a fish, a bowl, goldfish. And I, I said, uh, well, the most important element of music is rhythm. You understand? So these kids, they're rapping in rhythm. So don't turn them away. If you want to add to that stew, then you can add to that stew. 
but use what it is that they've done. Their genius has mm -hmm. gone above and beyond. Uh, so I tell composers all the time, don't be afraid to throw all of our experience into the composition and challenge us. You know, and as we as vocalists, you know, we have to figure out, you know, what to do. Protect our voices, though. Watch out now. So if you need special artists to do special things, call upon them to do special things. Don't hurt anybody, you know. Right. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want uh, a harpist to be uh, using their hands, uh, beating on some sort of an object and whatnot that was going to be detrimental to their playing on the harp. So, so you have to be, uh, you have to hire the right artists to do the right kinds of things at the right particular mm -hmm. times. Now, and that's how that goes. But now I turn, I don't, you know, oh, I can dance, you know, I can hustle and do the best <laughs> with the best of them. I can do whatever it's called for. And I've been seen doing it many times. I remember I was in, uh, in Cincinnati one time and I went to, I got caught, uh, you know, my, my, my voice teacher, when I came back from Cincinnati, he pushed a, a news article in front of me and he said, and the news, news article says, opera singer in the field out there dancing at the George Clinton concert. Yep, it was me. I was out, <laughs> I was out there, you know. So every part of our experience, uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. And in Newark and right here, you know, I feel like I'm part of the extremity. You know, uh, you know, you you go all the way from over here, uh, uh, um, hip hop or whatever you want to call it, all the way through to or to uh, classical music, opera, whatever you want to call it. And uh, you know, I, I'm on both of these these ends. And I've had I've uh, I had children. My children have you know enjoyed all kinds of music, and they bring it in the house, and I listen to it. And and my son always laughs at me. He said, Dad. Are you watching that Biggie Smalls movie again? I love that movie on Biggie Smalls. <laughs> right. I'm like, yeah, I'm watching because I love the way it sounds and I love the rhythm and so mm -hmm. forth. So, you know, um, so Newark is full of all of this because I know it's full of all of this because I'm in it. Because I'm in it and I'm full of all of this. So I know it's full of all of this. And so I, I you know, you, you know, if you see me, you know, sometimes I like to go to those big festivals outdoors, Ashley, and mm -hmm. I'll put on my my fabulous Chicarelli suit that's yellow. And I put it on. I have my yellow shoes, you know, that are that were made for me, handmade. And I put on my yellow shirt and I go out there and, just, and I let that black and let that sun turn my skin as black as I can t possibly turn it. And I walk through everybody and they say, hey, brother, man, you looking good in that suit. And I say, yep, I'm out here in it, brother. And so, because I want them to know this is from whence I come. This is all mm -hmm. part of me. All right. Mm -hmm. So what I did was embrace, you know, different sounds and so forth. But I'm a part of all of this and I'm not trying to be a part of it. I am a part of it. <laughs> I am a part of it. You know, yeah. so I, I, I don't, um, you know, I oh, listen, Ashley. When I was a kid, I went to the Apollo Theater all the time. I'm from New York. I would go and see the 12 o'clock show, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12 show, $3.50 per show. And we only played one time and then we would sneak around and so we could stay in there all day. I would mm -hmm. see the Temptations, the Stylistics, the Delphonics, the Manhattans. Oh, just forget it. Red Fox, mm -hmm. everybody. I would see all of these kinds of things and enjoy all this kind of experience. And it made me up. The, 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 
Blue Magic, they are friends of mine. The stylistics are a friend of mine. I have a text that's coming out that's called, um, uh, 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 it deals with black vocalism, black vocal technique. And I, I interviewed Russell Tompkins Jr., who's the lead singer for the stylistics. You understand? Know yeah. So, and uh, I and and uh, Wilbur Hart, who was the lead singer for the Delphonics. Oh, I mean, so you know, I know all of this music is here uh, in Newark. You know, and you talk about you know, you probably have heard my rendition of uh, my the, the the Florence Price songs and the Margaret Barnes pieces. Mm -hmm. I mean, take a listen. Yeah. I did a CD called the Black Art Song, and nobody else is. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's comprehensive. It's all complete. You know, it has everything on it. So and I, I'm, I'm paying attention to all of the music that my people are, are making. And besides all the music that everybody else is making as well. You know, mm -hmm. Dr. Stott, who just recently died, who was a minister at Bethany Baptist Church, he used to say Bethany Baptist Church was a smorgasbord of music. And that's what I like. Right. That's what I like. Well, so I, that's I, what we I think that's a great way to um, to uh, conclude our conversation. This idea of a smorgasbord, <laughs> and, and and Ashley, what did you just share with us? Oh uh, no, just um, my husband's calling because you know if I mention there's a microphone on, he shows up. Okay, great, great. Okay, and and I please, think we stop the and we and we haven't we haven't revealed who your we all know who your husband is. Could you tell the audience who your husband is? We've been saying yeah, my husband. Sure, sure. My husband is Terrence McKnight. He's the evening host at WQXR. There we go. So, so thank both of you for um, this incredible um, two short conversation. But we're going to get together again. We're going to figure it out another way to get in touched in person. So, um, Kevin, thank you so much for all you do. Keep keep keeping on, as they say. And right. Ashley, uh, with mm -hmm. your music um, uh, career and in, in, uh, teaching and performing, again, this idea that uh, music is something that is so important to our, our community and to our world. And thank you both for, for joining me today. And Ashley, I, I, I don't know about you, but I know that Terrence made a good choice. <laughs> well, I, I, can, I can attest for that. He's, He's a very fortunate man. Uh, thank, you. thank you. So, you all have a, both of you have a Three, great four. rest of the day, and thank you. Hey, thank all right. you. Thanks. All right. Have a good day. Bye bye. Tune in next time for another conversation with our guest. We'll share their Newark, New Jersey cultural journey. If you'd like to share your Newark, New Jersey story, Go to our website and submit your unique journey on our contact page. I'm your host, Roger Tucker. I look forward to sharing these fascinating Newark, New Jersey conversations with you sometime soon. So long and be well. Safari Spice.